The following message is brought to you by Baltimore Bible Church. For more information about this ministry, please visit us online at www.baltimorebiblechurch.org. So now let's open our Bibles and follow along as we loose the scriptures and let them speak. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and uh, get started with uh, session two. Mike, it's been a pleasure to, to have you, and uh, we're looking forward to hearing what else you have to share with us. So come on, brother. <clears throat> Thank you, George. Well, now that you know the difference between Roman Catholicism and what the Bible teaches on justification, we want to know how to witness to Roman Catholics with love, with compassion, and most importantly, using the Bible, the supreme authority, God's inspired word. I'm always reminded of the Apostle Peter. He said that the word of God is the very seed, it's the imperishable seed that brings forth life. And we know that when it falls on fertile soil, it will bring forth life. So as we go out and we share the gospel, we're always praying for open hearts. And the Lord is sovereign. He can open hearts just as he opened Lydia's hearts. Well, the Roman Catholic Church, as you know, is a neglected mission field. It is comprised of 1.3 billion precious souls And I think in America, one out of four Americans are Roman Catholic. And so it doesn't take you long to find a Roman Catholic. And as we witness to people throughout the day, we simply ask them, are you a Christian? And that's a great way if you only have a few minutes with people to get on the subject of the gospel. So often, though, when we ask that question, we will hear, no, I'm a Roman Catholic or no, I'm a Catholic. And so it gives us an opportunity to go right to the gospel So the principles we're going to look at in this message can be applied to anyone that's lost in religion, that's held in bondage to religion. But when we witness, let us remember that success in evangelism is up to the Lord. He has called us to take the words of Scripture from the pages of the Bible to the person's ear. God is responsible for taking it from the ear to the heart. So we've been successful when we've delivered the gospel message. So why is the Roman Catholic Church a mission field? And again, I'm going to go according to the Roman Catholic Catechism, not according to individual Catholics, but about the teachings of the Catechism. So according to its teachings, Catholics worship and trust another Jesus and believe a false gospel, which is on the wide road to destruction. This shouldn't surprise us, because in 2 Corinthians 11.4, 2,000 years ago, Paul wrote these words. Some will come and preach another Jesus, another gospel, influenced by another spirit. And you know how he ended that verse? You put up with it. You bear this beautifully. Rather than contending for the purity and the exclusivity of the gospel and the true Christ as he's gloriously revealed in Scripture, you simply put up with it. Well, there are two methods of witnessing that I need to address because there are many well-meaning evangelists that do it man's way instead of God's way. Man's way is to tell them God loves them and has a wonderful plan for their life. If that sounds familiar, it's Bill Bright's first spiritual law. Fortunately, before he went to glory, he repented of this and he recognized it wasn't true. God's way is to proclaim all of God's attributes and to declare man's accountability to his creator. Yes, God is a God of love and mercy and grace, but he's also a God of holiness, righteousness, and justice. 
And every day we have to remind people, one day you're going to meet your creator. And he's either going to be a merciful savior or a sin-avenging judge. Man's way, his goal is to get decisions. But the Great Commission is not go and make decisions, is it? It's to go and make disciples, teaching them to observe everything Christ has commanded. Man's way is to ask them to repeat a sinner's prayer or to accept Jesus. And I don't know where that originated, but they're not biblical. You won't find anyone repeating a prayer for salvation in the Bible. The closest thing you find is the publican, weighted down by his sin, crying out to the Lord, have mercy on me, a Savior. But no one had to lead him in that prayer. We need to call them to repent and believe the gospel. That's the only saving response once we give the glorious gospel of grace. Accepting Jesus, again, I don't know where that originated. Nobody gets to heaven by accepting Jesus. We receive him by faith, John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. We trust him. We believe in him. We have faith in him. That's what we need to stress. Charles Spurgeon, 170 years ago, said, We long to be successful fishers for Jesus, but we are tempted to try methods which Jesus would never have tried. Shall we yield to this suggestion of the enemy? We must follow Jesus to succeed. Can we imagine the Lord Jesus using such means as are now commonly used? Spurgeon goes on to say, We must preach our Lord's doctrine and proclaim a full gospel. For this is the net in which souls are taken. We must preach with his gentleness and boldness, with his love, to have success with human hearts. We must work under divine anointing, depending upon the Holy Spirit. Then we will be fishers of men. I think we all need to be aware that if we witness God's way, we will find true converts when people repent and believe the gospel. If we do it man's way, that may produce false converts. And I can tell you the very last thing I ever want to do is produce a false convert. Because there are going to be many that will stand before the Lord Jesus on that last day and hear the terrifying words, I never knew you, depart from me. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, many, not a few, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Please note two things in the Lord's message there. People are calling him Lord, Lord, but they're trusting in what they are doing rather than what Christ has done. The second thing to note, they never departed from iniquity. They never repented. And so we have to make sure that we are calling people to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If we love people, we must tell them the truth. And the Lord Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. In Luke 19.10, we see his mission was to seek and to save that which was lost. What did the Lord Jesus say about hell? Why did he come to rescue people from hell? 
The New Testament speaks about hell this way. It is the place of punishment where divine justice is satisfied for sinners who die without Christ. It is the place of despair and desperation. It is called the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. It is a place of terrible torture, dreadful agony, and soul-wracking remorse. Hope never enters there. Light never shines there. Only pain and gloom and restless agony and indescribable torment. There is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth forever. No one will ever seek a Savior until they know the destiny of those who die without Christ. So when we witness to Roman Catholics, we need to expect a stubborn resistance. Indoctrination is a captivating power that causes a strong resistance to God's Word. From the time a Roman Catholic can think, they are indoctrinated with the belief that the Catholic Church is the one true church. They're indoctrinated with the priesthood is the priesthood that dispenses salvation. They ultimately have the object of their faith in the church rather than in Christ Jesus. Religious pride may be Satan's most powerful tool to blind people. And we see in 2 Corinthians 4.4 that the God of this world blinds people from the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ. And he uses religious indoctrination and religious pride as a very effective tool to do that. Oh, how many times have I witnessed to Roman Catholics? And the response is, I was born a Catholic and I'm going to die a Catholic. Nothing you can say will change my mind. And I lovingly correct them. I say, no, not according to the Bible. You were born a sinner and you're going to die a sinner unless you repent and believe the gospel. So there are some obstacles to overcome as we witness to Roman Catholics. They are utterly dependent upon their priesthood. Remember, it's the sacrament of baptism that Catholics believe regenerates them, makes them alive in Christ, and justifies them. The Catholic priest is the one who dispenses salvation. Even after a Catholic dies, they're still utterly dependent upon their priest to get them out of a fictitious place called purgatory. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. They believe baptism is the means of regeneration. So most Catholics that you witness to believe that they already are new creatures in Christ. They believe they, want, they belong to the one true church. That's a powerful indoctrination to overcome. But this one also is very difficult to overcome, and that is there is family pressure to remain Roman Catholic. I can tell you that when I left the Catholic Church, my family ostracized me. How dare you leave the church of your father's? Well, there's so much family pressure, I'd just like to share a testimony of God's amazing grace. I was invited up to a church in Wisconsin, and the church had been praying for a Catholic husband for three years. The wife was a member of the church, and every time she invited her husband to church, he always rejected. But she said, there's a, there's a former Roman Catholic coming to give the message this weekend. Please come, and I'll never bother you again. And so he came that Saturday night. I gave a message entitled, Where Will You Spend Eternity? 
At the end of the message, I walked out of the pulpit and she comes up to me and introduces me to her Catholic husband. And his name was Peter. I said, Peter, based on what you've just heard from God's word, what is keeping you from trusting the Lord Jesus Christ as your all-sufficient Savior right now? And he just looked like a deer in the headlights. I mean, he blank expression. I wasn't going to say another word till he answered my question. Finally, after about a minute, his wife blurts out, it's your parents. You don't want to offend your parents. And he said, you know what? She's right. And so I opened my Bible and I showed in Matthew 10 where Jesus came to divide father against son and mother against daughter. I said, do you love God more than you love your parents? And I gave him a couple of my gospel tracts, and I said, Peter, take these home tonight, read them, and then come back tomorrow morning. I'll be giving the Sunday morning message. So the next morning, he and his wife were the first ones in the church. He said, I, I tossed and turned all night long. I, I read what you gave me, and in the middle of the night, I cried out to the Lord to save me. And then I couldn't wait for my wife to wake up. I wanted to apologize to her. We sat on the side of the bed, and I said, I'm so sorry for biting your head off every time you asked me to church. And he told her, I trusted Jesus in the middle of the night. Well, tears of joy are running down our cheeks now as we see the Word of God and the Spirit of God brought forth life to someone who recognized their love for God was greater than their love for their parents. So I share that with you to be aware that there is a lot of obstacles to overcome, but don't hesitate to ask questions after you've given the gospel. There are some Roman Catholic traditions that distort the gospel. They do teach that Mary is another sinless mediator. She is the mediatrix of all grace. Roman Catholics reject the gospel's promise. The promise of the gospel is eternal, everlasting life with the Savior. Roman Catholics also believe the work of redemption continues on their altar every time the work of salvation is carried out by the priest. I was invited up to a church in Kansas, and after we equipped the church to witness to Roman Catholics, we went out to the Saturday afternoon Mass. And oftentimes I try to meet with the priest when I travel this priest was too busy, but as we walked into the church, I saw a red light over the confessional telling me that the priest was inside hearing confessions. So I turned to my wife and the elder of the church. I said, pray for me. I'm going to go to confession. <laughs> so I walked in there, and there was the priest. There was no screen like there was in the olden days. And I said, I don't even know where to begin. It's been over 30 years since my last confession. The priest said, well, well don't worry. When you leave here, I'll forgive all of your sins. And then he said, why has it been 30 years? I said, well, I've been reading the Bible. He said, well, how has that kept you from the confessional box? I said, well, what I've been reading in the Bible goes against what I was taught as a Roman Catholic. He said, give me an example. I said, well, in John 19.30, Jesus cries out in victory, it is finished. So why do you continue on an altar with Jesus finished on the cross? He said, give me another example. I said, well, in 1 John 1, 7, it says the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. So why do we need purgatory? He said, I can see this is going to take longer than I thought. <laughs> so I said, he told me, he said, why don't you give me a call on Monday and we'll continue the conversation. So I flew back to Dallas and I called him and then he knew that 
we were there, as he called it, proselytizing. I said, no, we were sharing the gospel. He said, why were you doing that? Don't you know we're all brothers and sisters in Christ? I said, no, as I shared with you in the confessional box, we have a different gospel. And so I started sharing the gospel with him. And about five minutes into it, he said, you know what? Nothing you can say is going to change my mind. I was born a Catholic, and I'm going to die a Catholic. And I said, no, not according to God's word. You were born a sinner, and you're going to die a sinner unless you repent and believe his gospel. So here's seven keys to remember as you witness to Catholics. It is so important to establish the word of God as the supreme authority. We'll look at each one of these with a little bit more detail. We need to declare the sufficiency of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those two keys are so important. We also need to get the gospel right. We need to define the substitutionary atonement of Christ. We need to teach antithetically, not only present what the truth is, but also what opposes the truth. We need to pray. We also need to point them to the narrow way. So let's look at each one of these with a little more detail. How do we establish God's word as the supreme authority? Well, I think a great verse to share is 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is inspired by God, is breathed out by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. The word reproof means to expose and refute error. Once error has been exposed and reproved, then we can use Scripture to correct the error. So it is our authority to identify error and also to correct error, and we can use it for training and righteousness. I think another powerful verse is Psalm 138.2. God has exalted his name and his word above all things. There is no higher authority than Almighty God, and he has breathed out his word such that it is our only infallible source for knowing truth today. We can use it to instruct people, We can use it to correct people. We need to be aware there's no higher authority. The reason it's important is because Roman Catholics have three different authorities. They have Scripture as one, also their sacred tradition. They are said to be all equal, but in actual practice, it is the bishops, called the magisterium of the church, that actually sit above Scripture and tradition. And what the magisterium does is it twists and distorts Scripture so that it always conforms with their tradition. It's so amazing because Roman Catholics are told that their bishops are the only authentic interpreters of God's Word. When I've witnessed a priest, they say, you have no authority to interpret the Word of God on your own. You must come back to Holy Mother the Church. But yet when you look at Scripture, when you look at the epistles, They weren't written to bishops. They were written to the saints of the church. We're all going to be held responsible for what God's word says. So, how do we establish God's supreme authority over the teachings of men? I think a great verse is Acts 17.11. The apostle Paul is preaching in the synagogues of Berea. As, As he is preaching, he notices that his listeners are searching the scriptures every day to find out if what he's teaching them is true. 
In other words, they're testing an apostle. They're testing one who wrote over half the New Testament with the authority of Scripture to test his veracity. And so the principle here is that if an apostle comes under the scrutiny of Scripture, shouldn't every priest, pope, bishop, nun, Bible-believing Christian, evangelical pastor, shouldn't we all come under the same authority? We must test every man's teaching with the authority of Scripture. It could be better said than Acts 17.11. How about sacred tradition of the Catholic Church? Is there a verse we can take Catholics to? In Mark chapter 7, Jesus is dealing with the apostate Jewish leaders, and he says in Mark 7, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. So clearly the word of God must have authority over all tradition. And there are traditions that we are to hold to. There's three times in the New Testament where tradition is spoken of in a positive sense. Each time the source was an apostle, and each time the tradition had already been taught or already been delivered. So all the Roman Catholic traditions that came after the first century, those are the ones that are ungodly and must be corrected by the authority of Scripture. It is so clear that the Bible must be our supreme authority. How do we rely on Scripture? Well, Hebrews 4.12 is an excellent example. We see that Scripture is sharper than a two-edged sword. We can use it as an offensive and defensive weapon to slay the lies of the devil. Every lie under the sun can be exposed, reproved, and corrected using the authority of God's Word. The Word of God pierces, it penetrates, and cuts to the depths of the soul, and it never returns void. And that simply means as the Word of God goes forth, it brings salvation to those who believe it, but it brings further condemnation for those who reject it. It always accomplishes its purpose. The Word of God judges. Before anyone can be saved, their sin must be judged by the Word of God. It is living and active. No other words can bring life to a dead soul. And it also has divine power and authority. Romans 1.16, the gospel is the very power of God for the salvation of all who believe it. So as we witness, we have a tendency sometimes to use our own words. Let's use the word of God. Our words have no power. Our words have no authority. Let's point people to the scriptures. And then when I'm witnessing to a Catholic, I use their Bible if they have one because they're told not to trust anything outside the Catholic Church. So use their Bible if they have one and just point them to the scriptures and say, what is God saying to you there? What is God teaching you in that verse? Great way to witness. A lot of Roman Catholics will tell us that if you would only read the early church fathers, then you would see that the second and third century church was Roman Catholic. Well, how do you answer that? Well, first... You have early church fathers on both sides of every issue. So by reading the early church fathers, you really haven't accomplished anything. The second thing we need to consider is that how do we know that the early church fathers that Catholics want us to read are not the very men that the Apostle Paul warned us against? Remember at the end of his earthly ministry, he stood before the Ephesian elders and said, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from your own selves, 
Men will arise. For what purpose? To speak perverse things and draw away disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one of you with tears. Can't you sense the emotion in the Apostle Paul's writing here? He knows this is going to happen. He knows false teachers are going to come in. Now, my response to people that want me to read the early church fathers is this. I want to build my theology on the inspired word of God, not on the uninspired words of men. Great lesson for all of us as we communicate the gospel. The second key for effective witnessing, declare the sufficiency of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1.30, Jesus has become to every believer wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. He died once for all sin for all time. There are no more offerings for sin. Oh, if only Roman Catholics would read Hebrews chapter 10. It destroys the Roman Catholic mass because there in Hebrews 10 verses 10, 12, and 18, we see that he died once for all sin for all time. There are no more offerings for sin. The Roman Catholic Mass is an offering for sin. It is said to be a propitiatory sacrifice whereby the wrath of God is turned away from the sins committed in the previous week. The Lord Jesus accomplished everything necessary to save sinners, and then he cried out in victory, It is finished. To tell us, die, paid in full. The Lord Jesus Christ is sufficient. Roman Catholics will be unwilling to let go of what they're doing to help Jesus save them until they know Christ is sufficient. I gave an example of this when I was called up to preach in Northern California. The pastor encouraged a congregation to invite their Catholic friends. And so at the end of my message, a young Catholic couple approached the pulpit and said, Mike, you've really caused us to think and question our religion, we'd like to take you to lunch and ask you some questions. So we went to lunch, and every time he asked a question, I turned in his Catholic Bible, and I let God answer the question for him. The more questions God answered, the more questions he had. He was about ready to leave after about three hours, and I said, Sergio, before you leave, can I ask you a question? Remember this morning, I gave an illustration In Roman Catholicism, we're told to cling to so many different things so that we can avoid the fires of hell. Remember I said, imagine there's a set of monkey bars suspended over hell, and as long as we're clinging to our baptism and our sacraments and our good works and keeping the law and the sacrifice of the Mass and purgatory, that we'll be spared from hell. He said, yeah, I remember. Remember I said, imagine Jesus is suspended between you and hell, And he's saying, if you'll let go of those things that cannot save you and put all of your trust in me, I promise I'll save you. Yeah, I remember. And you remember I said, if you're still clinging to those rungs when you die, you're going to lose your grip and you will fall into the eternal lake of fire. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Well, Sergio, are you ready to let go right now and trust Jesus alone as your all-sufficient Savior? And his wife hadn't said a word for three hours. All of a sudden, she blurts out, I am! And then Sergio said, well, what do I need to do? So I let God answer that question too. 
I turn to Mark 1.15. The first command of Jesus is repent and believe the gospel. Then I turn to Romans 10. I said, read verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. I said, Sergio, look at verse 13. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Sergio bowed his head and cried out, Jesus, save me. Then he got up and wrapped his arms around me, and we praised God that the Word of God and the Spirit of God brought new life. About eight months later, I was doing a conference in Southern California. I hear this voice, hey, Mike, do you remember me? There was Sergio. He said, we drove all the way down from Modesto. I wanted you to know that I shared those verses with my brother, and he's now exchanged his religion for a relationship with Christ. So we need to declare the sufficiency of Christ because Catholicism denies his sufficiency in so many ways. To his finished work, they add the Mass. To his word, they add their tradition. To his headship, they add a pope. To his high priestly office, they add the confessional box. To his infinite merit, they add their own merit. To his purifying blood, they add purgatory. To his righteousness, they add their own works of righteousness, which the prophet Isaiah said are filthy rags. To his unique role as sinless mediator, they add Mary. Listen to the Roman Catholic Church's view of Mary. Paragraph 494. Without a single sin to restrain her, she became, listen to this, the cause of salvation for herself and the whole human race. It's not finished there. Paragraph 969. As mediatrix, she did not lay aside this saving office, but by her manifold intercession continues to bring us the gifts of eternal salvation. Can you see how this robs the Lord Jesus Christ of his unique role as the one mediator between God and man? Mary's not qualified. Jesus is God's perfect man and man's perfect God. And the role of a mediator is to change the relationship from one of hostility to one of peace and harmony. And Jesus Christ did that with his finished work of redemption on the cross. The Apostle Paul warned some will preach another Jesus. Catholics believe they receive their Jesus physically, frequently, in the stomach because the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 1374, teaches that the body and blood, soul and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ is truly, really, and substantially contained in the Eucharist. As a Roman Catholic, I believed I was literally eating Jesus Christ. But Christians received Jesus once, spiritually, in the heart. Paul wrote that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, Ephesians 3.17. We need to get the gospel right. A couple of characteristics of the gospel. It is eternal. It was first announced in the garden right after Adam and Eve fell into sin. The same gospel was given to Abraham. The same gospel will go throughout the world, and then the end will come. Everybody in heaven will be there because they believed the one and only gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Old Testament saints look forward to the cross, a suffering Messiah that would die as a substitute. New Testament saints look back to the cross, 
to see the Savior dying in their place as their substitute. The gospel is exclusive. All other faiths and all other religions are false. That's the offense of the gospel. Are you telling me there's only one way? Well, that's what the Lord Jesus said in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the way for those who are lost. He's the truth for those who are deceived. And he's the very life for those who are dead in their sins. The gospel is according to Scripture alone. 2 Timothy 3.15 and 1 Corinthians 15.1-4, Paul defines the gospel. It is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ according to what? Scripture. The Bible doesn't point us to any other book, to any other authority. If you want to know how to be saved, it's fully contained in the Scripture. Paul wrote to Timothy, from infancy, you have known the Scriptures which are able to do what? Make you wise unto salvation. The gospel has divine power to save those who believe it. And the gospel is of grace alone. Those who add anything to it stand condemned. We talked about the Judaizers in the first hour. They believed in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but they said if you're a Gentile, you not only need to believe, but you need to be circumcised. Paul said, let them be accursed for daring to add one requirement to the gospel. Well, Catholics have a false and fatal gospel. If the Judaizers were under a curse, look at how many requirements the Catholic Church has burdened its people with. It's by faith plus baptism plus the sacraments plus the mass plus purgatory plus good works plus keeping the law plus indulgences. Paul said, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. There's no middle ground here. There's only one gospel. Anyone preaching another gospel is under divine condemnation. That's why we need to rescue precious souls out from a religion that is under a divine curse. Every Roman Catholic priest, bishop, pope, and clergy who preaches this gospel is under a divine curse. I say that by the authority of Scripture. Are you familiar with Satan's first lie in the garden and how it is perpetuated by Roman Catholicism? What was Satan's first lie? He told Eve, you surely shall not die if you disobey God. Genesis 3, 4. Well, how does the Roman Catholic Church perpetuate that lie? They created a doctrine of venial sins. Catholics are told you surely shall not die when you commit venial sins. They do not cause death only temporal punishment. Paragraph 1863 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Remember Paul said in latter days, some will depart from the faith and follow doctrines of demons. This is a most serious doctrine of the devil. You surely shall not die. We know from Scripture that all sins are mortal. The wages of sin is death. The soul that sins will surely die. We need to warn Roman Catholics. What are indulgences? They remove temporal punishment for sin. Here you see a picture of a mass card. When a Roman Catholic dies, their family members go to the priest. They purchase this mass card. They put the name of their loved one on it. The priest takes it back and receives 
a stipend for that. Then he lays it on the altar so that when the sacrifice of the mass is offered, the loved one that's suffering in this place called purgatory is supposed to be removed more expeditiously. When my dear old dad died as a devout Catholic, we went through his mail. Over 200 mass cards had been purchased to get my dad out of a place that doesn't even exist. The Catholic Church does not want you to miss the importance of indulgences. It commands that the usage of indulgences most beneficial to Christians should be kept in the church, and it condemns with anathema those who say indulgences are useless or the church does not have the power to grant them. Is there anything more wicked than someone deceiving people about life's most critical issue? What must I do to be saved? Well, I have uh, studied this. I, I call it the trilogy of deception. You have the first lie of the devil in the garden, the creation of venial sins. It doesn't incur death, only temporal punishment. So now Catholics need a place to send people to suffer for a period of time, temporal punishment. So they created purgatory. There they go to have their sin purged by fire. And now that they created a place for Catholics to go that die in venial sins, now they need a means to get them out of purgatory. So they created the indulgences. That's where the time of punishment is reduced. A trilogy of deception. Instead of proclaiming the sufficiency of our Lord Jesus Christ, they have created this deception to hold its people in bondage. And isn't that the nature of religion, is to hold people in bondage? Jesus said, if you'll abide in my word, then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free, free from religious deception and religious bondage. I think I shared that with you in the first hour. Grace and works are mutually exclusive in justification. You can do nothing to save yourself. Any attempt to do so nullifies justifying grace and insults Jesus and his all-sufficient work of redemption. What Jesus has done to save sinners gives all the glory to God and his saving grace, all boasting us in Jesus Christ and his righteousness. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, there's only two faiths in this world. There's trusting in what Christ has done, divine accomplishment, or there's trusting in what man must do, human achievement. You boil down all the religions in the world and they fall under that category. Only biblical Christianity proclaims an all-sufficient Savior, and the gospel is about trusting in the finished, all-sufficient work of Christ. But it's important to discuss good works. I can tell you at the outset, Roman Catholics have the wrong motivation for their works. Prior to justification, the prophet Isaiah said that all of our works are like filthy rags. So what we must do is come to the cross of Christ with empty hands of faith. The only thing we can bring is our sin. We must leave everything else behind. But after we are justified, Ephesians 2.10 tells us, then we do the works that God has prepared for us to walk in. Can you see the timing of works is so important? The motivation of works is so important. Roman Catholics are doing works in order to be saved. We do our works because we've been saved, 
out of love and gratitude and thanksgiving for the Lord Jesus Christ dying as our substitute on Calvary's cross. Please remember when you witness to Catholics to remind them of the motivation for works. We need to define the substitutionary atonement of Christ. Remember, the Catholic Church does not teach the penal substitution of Christ. Isaiah 53, 5, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. 2 Corinthians 5.21, He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The greatest transaction any human being could ever experience in this life. By faith, Christ takes all of our sin, all of our guilt, all of our punishment. And what does he give us in return? His perfect righteousness. He has made perfect forever those who are being sanctified by his one offering. Hebrews 10, 14. And then 1 Peter 3, 18. Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. So we must tell Catholics They need to read God's word because when they read God's word, they'll realize they've broken God's law and they're condemned by God's justice. They deserve God's wrath. They need God's mercy and their only hope is the substitutionary atonement of God's son. The gospel's that simple. Before the good news is spoken, we must share the bad news. A holy and righteous judge cannot let the guilty go free. Someone has to satisfy divine justice. And I share with Catholics, divine justice is satisfied by God in one of two places. Either at Calvary's cross, where Jesus satisfied divine justice for all those who will trust in him as their substitute, or people can reject Jesus or say, no, thank you, Jesus. But one day they will meet him at the great white throne. And their divine justice will be satisfied when they're thrown into the eternal lake of fire. Only a fool would reject Jesus Christ as their all-sufficient Savior to satisfy divine justice for them. We need to teach antithetically. If you read the New Testament, you'll see the apostles contrasted the impact of believing God's truth instead of Satan's lies. I think one of the classic examples of Teaching antithetically is Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Listen to Paul. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, so that no man may boast. This, these two verses have set so many Roman Catholics free. It really impacted my life. Grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, according to Scripture alone. Remember the nature of deception. People do not know they are deceived until they are confronted with the truth. I believed I belonged to the one true church. I believed that the church was going to get me to heaven. It wasn't until I opened the Bible and I saw God's truth that I realized I was deceived, woefully deceived about life's most critical issue. You and I as truth bearers must lovingly confront those lost in religion and their deception. We must share the truth with them. And how do we speak the truth? Well, we tell them that God does not impute his righteousness 
until sinners are first stripped of their own. Wow, if you need a, a context, Philippians 3, the Apostle Paul, if anyone had reason to boast in his religion, it was the Apostle Paul, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, righteous. But then in the end, he said, I, I exchanged my religion for a relationship with Christ. Not my righteousness, but his righteousness is what he put his trust in. God does not make sinners alive in Christ until they know they're dead in their sins. Can you see the importance of letting Catholics know venial sins is a lie of the devil? Every sin is mortal. Every sin causes death. Every sin causes separation from God. There is no venial sin. Another key, we need to pray. You know, when I was in seminary, we got to Romans 10. I think this is when the Lord really placed a burden on me to reach back to the Roman Catholic religion and rescue those who are where I thought I was in the one true church, destined for heaven, albeit a detour through purgatory. But here in Romans 10, you see the Apostle Paul's great love for the Israelites. He said they had a zeal for God, but it wasn't based on knowledge. And so not knowing God's righteousness, they sought to obtain their own righteousness. And I thought to myself, I know so many Roman Catholics who have a zeal for God, but they too don't know God's righteousness because they haven't read the Bible. God's righteousness requires perfect righteousness for entrance into heaven. But whatever God demands, God produces. God demands perfect righteousness. He gives as a gift the righteousness of his son. That is our only passport into heaven, the righteousness of Christ. We need to pray for words to be given to fearlessly make known the gospel. Again, the Apostle Paul's prayer in Ephesians 6.19. We need to pray for God to open doors and hearts for us to proclaim Christ clearly. Colossians 4.2-4. You know, when we witness, we need to remember that the Lord Jesus sent people out two by two. I believe it's so one could be witnessing and the other could be praying, praying for open hearts and open doors. We also need to pray for wisdom to make the most of every opportunity. We know from Scripture that the fields are white for harvest, the laborers are few. If you pray to a sovereign Lord, Lord, I want divine appointments. Lead me across people that need to hear the gospel this week. God is sovereign. He will answer that prayer. And so my wife and I, we pray for divine appointments at the beginning of weeks, and we go out looking for these divine appointments. How do you know if you've got one? You engage people throughout the day, whether you're in the grocery line, the post office line, whether you're at a restaurant. It's an opportunity to engage people. If you only have a few minutes, you can say, are you a Christian? 86% of Americans say they are, so you're starting off in a positive response. And then where do you go to church? How does your church teach you have any hope of going to heaven? If that weren't true according to the one who created heaven, would you want to know the truth? And then depending on the amount of time, you've got an opportunity to share the gospel. And we always believe in leaving the gospel behind in written form. We leave gospel tracts behind but that's how we find out if we've got divine appointments. Just engage people wherever you go. 
We need to point them to the narrow way. My dad's brother, my uncle, was a Roman Catholic priest who spent 30 years in the jungles of Burma converting the Burmese to Catholicism. And he would come on on furlough and visit us. He was a big New York Yankee fan. And I remember we had often shared the gospel with him, but one particular night, he just had no answer for everything God was revealing in the scriptures. And out of frustration, he threw up his hands and said, Mike, how can one billion Catholics be wrong? So I said, can we let Jesus answer that question? So we turned to Matthew 7. Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. Just because there's a billion Catholics on the same road doesn't mean it's the right way. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. And then look at the context. The very next verse, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So Jesus is saying there are two gates, a narrow and a broad, and there's also false teachers. So you can just sense the false teachers are standing in front of the narrow way saying it's not here, it's the broad way. No wonder in Luke's gospel Jesus said, you must strive to enter the narrow gate. What's the striving about? There's false teachers in front of it. So if you want to know the true gate, you're going to have to diligently search the scriptures to find the truth because there will be false teachers misdirecting you to the wide road that leads to destruction. My last semester at seminary, I put together these two paths to eternity. And they're available in our gospel track, Roman Catholicism, Scripture versus Tradition. I can tell you that every Roman Catholic I have witnessed to over the last 32 years has affirmed that they are indeed on the Roman Catholic path to eternity. And that simply says they believe they were born destined for hell because of Adam's sin. Water baptism puts them on the road to heaven. When they commit those venial sins, they lose some right standing before God. When they commit a mortal sin, they're de-justified and headed to hell. They have to be re-justified by receiving the sacraments and doing enough good works to produce enough merit to qualify them for heaven You see a treasury there. It's actually invisible in the Vatican. This treasury is said to contain, get this, the inexhaustible merits of our Lord Jesus Christ commingled with the merits of Mary and the saints who did more than enough merit to qualify them for heaven. It is here where the Pope transfers these merits to those suffering in purgatory, but he refuses to do so unless indulgences are purchased. So at the end of a Catholic's life, if he's heard the gospel and rejected it, or if he's never heard the gospel, he will stand before the Lord Jesus at the great white throne and hear the most terrifying words anyone could ever hear when Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you, and they're cast into the eternal lake of fire. And my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, This is why I've dedicated my life to reaching these precious souls. I was on this path for 35 years, not knowing there was another path. And it is the biblical path. And it's not water baptism, it's faith in Christ. And at that very moment, we are justified with the promise there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus.
through the process of sanctification, we put to death the deeds of the flesh with the power of the Holy Spirit, conforming our life to the life of Christ. And at the end of a believer's life, if or at the rapture, whichever comes first, we'll stand before the Lord Jesus and hopefully we'll hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. And then we'll sing his praises throughout all eternity. Amen? Two different paths. Can you see the need to lovingly confront Roman Catholics and point them to the narrow way? There are many attractions of the Broadway. In Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. There is no opposition on the Broadway because those on the Broadway are walking with the God of this world, the one who's blinded their eyes from the light of the gospel. The Broadway is easy because they're following others who love darkness and are blind to the truth. People who are on the Broadway don't even know it, and they may never know it unless you and I reach them with the gospel. Well, we know in Hebrews 11.1 1, that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. But yet, assurance can only be realized when the object of faith is Christ alone. The reason Roman Catholics have no assurance of eternal life is because it's Christ plus everything else. They must repent of everything else, put all of their trust in Christ. Then and only then can they have assurance. Because Christ did the two things necessary to save sinners. He canceled the eternal sin debt, Colossians 2:13 and 14, and then he imputes his righteousness to those who trust in him. So when we contrast the faith of the Catholic Church with the true faith, what a contrast we see. The object of true faith is Jesus Christ alone, his death and resurrection. The object of Roman Catholics' faith, their religion, their priest, Mary, and the sacraments. The source of true saving faith is the word of Christ. We see that in Romans 10, 17. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. The source of a Catholic's faith are the Bible, infallible bishops, I put that in quotes, and their sacred traditions. True faith is evidenced by good works. Once a person has been born again and justified, then they do the works that God has prepared for them to walk in. Roman Catholicism, their faith includes works that are required for justification. True faith has faith in the power and promises of God. That assures us of our salvation. If you ever have a discouraging day, pick up 1 Peter chapter 1 and read verses 3 to 5 that our inheritance is in heaven, incorruptible. It will never fade away, and it's kept by the very power of Almighty God. We have faith that we will be in heaven the moment we die because of the promises and the power of God. But yet in the Catholic faith, they reject the promise of the gospel, and they have no assurance. So I was asked in between the two messages, what are some questions that we can ask Roman Catholics to steer them toward the gospel? Well, there's quite a few. We go out on Christmas Eve to Roman Catholic churches where people are in the mindset of giving and receiving gifts. And as people come out of the Mass, we ask them, what is the greatest gift you've ever received? And people will point to their diamond ring or their Rolex or their 
cell phone or their children. And we simply say there's a greater gift than that, the gift of eternal, everlasting life with the Savior. See, Roman Catholics don't have that promise. They only have conditional life. So this is good news. 1 John 5.13, John writes to those who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you can know right here and now that you have in your possession eternal, everlasting life. Where will you spend eternity? We just produced a gospel track. That is such an easy way to get the conversation on spiritual things. We simply tell people we can be wrong about a lot of things in this life and still survive. But if we're wrong about eternity, we'll pay for that mistake forever and ever and ever. What is your authority for knowing truth? Great question to ask Catholics. Why did Jesus have to die? You know what you're going to hear most often? Because he loved us. Well, that was his motivation. But why did he have to die? Some will say because of our sins. Well, why did he have to die for our sins? Some will say to forgive us. But why did he have to die to forgive us? The answer is the wages of sin is death. Somebody has to die to satisfy divine justice. It's either Jesus Christ who satisfied divine justice on the cross, that's why he had to die, or divine justice will be satisfied at the great white throne. What is the greatest news you've ever heard? There's no greater news for a condemned sinner on death row than to know there is a substitute that is willing to die in your place if you'll simply put your trust in him. Are you ready to meet your creator? I follow that up with he will either be a merciful savior or a sin-avenging judge. Do you know the only way God will forgive your sins? You know what the Roman Catholic Church did? They took the word repentance, metanoia, which is a change of mind that produces a change in direction, and they transliterated into penance. So Catholics believe they have to do penance in order to have their sins forgiven. But no, Jesus said in Luke 24, 47, repentance shall be preached in my name for the forgiveness of sins. Ask Catholics how and when were you born again? That is a foreign term to Catholics. They'll say, well, I don't know. I don't think I ever have been. Well, Jesus said, you must be born again to see the kingdom of heaven. Sounds like it's really important. Are you trusting what Christ has done or what you must do? Is purgatory necessary to purge your sin? Remember 1 John 1, 7, the blood of Jesus purifies us from some sin, most sin, Many sin, all sin. Hebrews 1.3, when he obtained purification for our sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. When a high priest finishes his work, he sits down. Why do priests continue on an altar with Jesus finished on the cross? Wow, is this a great question? What did Jesus mean in John 19.30? It is finished. What does your church teach about salvation? My wife asked a Catholic couple outside a Catholic church one time, and they said, gosh, I don't think our, ter- our church teaches anything about salvation. Isn't that important? Shouldn't every church teach how we can be reconciled to God and be saved? What is the object of your faith? 
Is it Christ alone? Well, we need to discipline ourselves to be spiritual doctors. What do I mean by that? Well, Jesus said, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. So we need to give people their true diagnosis. And what is their true diagnosis? They were conceived in sin. They were born sinners. They inherited a fatal disease called sin. 100% of the people that inherit that disease will die unless they take the cure. We have to share there's more bad news. There is no human cure. But praise God, there is a divine cure. And it's available free for the asking because of a love story written in blood on a wooden cross 2,000 years ago. The only cure for sin is the precious blood of Jesus. We must sow the imperishable seed. Peter said, people are born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. We must sow the seed. And as we scatter the seed of God's living word, he promises to bring forth life when it falls on fertile soil. We don't know where the fertile soil is. That's why we need to sow it wherever we go. And then as we sow the seed, we pray that God would bring forth the increase. Our most popular track is the greatest news ever told about the greatest gift. And the reason it's so popular is because it contains only Scripture. So when you give this away, you're literally sowing the seed of God's Word. And it follows an outline for sharing the gospel. God is perfectly holy. Man's got a problem. He's a sinner. God provided a Savior. Man's part is to repent and believe the gospel. God's promise is eternal, everlasting life. And man's privilege is to serve the king. We love giving this track away. So when you witness, make sure we address the primary problem. They are a sinner. The wages of sin is death. You must receive the cure, trusting in Christ alone. We need to avoid preaching and arguing. Seek to have a conversation that is balanced and loving. Can I tell you that unbelievers do not want to be preached at? Boy, when the Lord saved me, I did everything the wrong way. I couldn't wait to go home and tell my family the good news. I thought they were going to rejoice and receive it with gladness just the same way I did. And so I literally backed the theological dump truck, and I let them have it all in one fell swoop, and they were just reeling backwards. The walls went up. They said, Mike, if we ever want to know about your newfound religion, we'll ask you, but we don't want to hear any more. I said, but I don't have a religion anymore. I exchanged it for a relationship with Christ. Whatever, we just don't want to hear it. So have that balanced conversation. If you see the walls going up, maybe it's time to leave a gospel track and pray for them. Define terms biblically. Remember, faith is the transfer of trust from self to Christ. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. Catholics believe they must merit the grace necessary to save themselves. Some will reject the gospel because it would mean their ancestors are not in heaven. How do you address this? Are you telling me that my grandfather, who died as a devout Roman Catholic, is not in heaven? Well, I take him to the scriptures. Luke 16, you see the story of the rich man and Lazarus. What did the rich man want other than a drop of water to quench his thirst? He wanted a messenger to go back to earth and tell his brothers the truth 
so they wouldn't end up in this place of torment. So I say no matter where your grandfather is, he would want you to know the truth. And then I give them hope. I say, look at the cross. There were two thieves that were mocking Jesus, and then one thief repented and put his trust in Jesus. He was a Christ rejecter all of his life. He was a sinner all of his life. But at the last moment, I believe what happened to that thief is the same thing that happened to Peter. Remember when Jesus asked Peter, who do men say that I am? He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, this wasn't revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. I think the same thing happened to the thief. What caused him to go from mocking to repenting and believing? The father in heaven revealed to him the Savior dying next to him. So no matter where your grandfather is, don't let this be a stumbling block for you coming to Jesus. Well, we close with important contrast. The Bible is what God says. Catholicism is what man says, God says. We can go directly to the source for truth. We need to encourage Catholics to do that. Build your theology on the inspired word of God, not on the uninspired words of men. Christianity is a relationship with God through his son, the only mediator. Catholicism is a religion that offers a false hope of becoming right with God. George mentioned there's going to be some books preparing for eternity afterwards. By the way, we also have it in Spanish. We make this available free. All you need is an email address. We'll send this out in a PDF form. The reason we do that is because of the great cost in mailing this to Spanish-speaking countries. And so we make it available simply through an email. So if you have any Spanish-speaking people, take advantage of this. Contending for the gospel. Don't forget our gospel tracks. Where will you spend eternity? There you see the red one with the two paths to eternity. A very important one is which Jesus do you trust? What I do there is I contrast the Jesus that is gloriously revealed in Scripture with the Jesus of the Catholic Church, and it forces a Catholic to choose which Jesus am I going to trust. True faith or false hope, it's a gospel tract that encourages people to examine their faith and make sure it's genuine. You can never do what Christ has done. It deals with those who think they can get to heaven by what they do. Have you ever been deceived? Everybody that's been deceived will never know it until they're confronted with the truth. And so this track elevates the word of God as the only way that you will know that you're deceived about life's most critical issue. The last resource I want to share with you When I train people in evangelism, I ask them, what is keeping you from being a more faithful witness for the Lord Jesus? The most common response, I don't think I know the gospel well enough. So what I did is I put together the 12 most important words of the gospel. And these are the size of playing cards. And on the back of each one of these cards are four bullet points defining and explaining what each word means. You can use them as a witnessing tool to lay them out in front of people and Simply say, if your eternal destiny is hanging in the balance, which one of these words would you like to know more about? We brought these out at the State Fair of Texas. Do you know the card they picked up more often than any other? Sin. It's like they knew they were sinners that were looking for a loophole. 
But after they read the back of the cards, you can ask them, what else would you like to know more about? And so you always start with God, who is perfectly holy. He created man, and man fell into sin. And now he needs the Lord Jesus Christ and his work on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. And it's only by grace, through faith and repentance, that you can receive the gift of salvation and the righteousness of Christ by believing the truth. The back of each card, you see the four bullet points. We've taken these out at dinner parties, and we we have a large circular table that seats 10 people. We pass them around. We ask people, when it's your turn, tell us everything you know about the card, and then the rest of the table gets to join in, and only then can they turn it over and see what they left out. People leave our house saying the food was great, but the conversation was so rich, centered on the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have some DVDs with the gospel messages. Remember, this is how we started our ministry 32 years ago, just sharing the glorious gospel of our grace, inviting people over to watch a gospel video. Don't forget our website, A Wealth of Information. Um, We have all of our archived newsletters, training videos, articles. We also have a newsletter that goes out the the first of every month bringing you up to speed on what's going, coming out of the Roman Catholic Church and the Vatican and how the Pope is trying to unite all Christianity together. So, George, do we have time for questions, or what's, what's the program here? Yeah, I actually went to an apologetic seminar given by Josh McDowell, and if you know anything about Josh, he wrote a book called Evidence for the Christian Faith. And if you'd asked me in my 35 years, what is the evidence for your Catholic faith? I would have said, well, the priest told me, that's why I believe it. So for three days, Josh gave the evidence for the Christian faith, and I went home recognizing that the Bible needed to become my supreme authority in all matters of faith. So I picked it up and began reading it. That's what Josh instructed me to do. The Bible must be your supreme authority. So that was why I opened it and started reading it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Well, I want to thank all of you and thank the the elders of this church for the invitation to come and share the burden that I've had for many years. My wife, Jane, we, we just have dedicated our life to equipping the body of Christ to be effective witnesses in this huge mission field. So please know that this, I hope, is just the beginning of our relationship We're just an email or a phone call away. If there's anything we can ever do to encourage you, to equip you, please don't hesitate to let us know. So thank you for the opportunity. May I close in prayer? Father, we do thank you. Oh, what a glorious Savior we have in Christ Jesus, and what a joy it is to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his glorious light. Father, we pray that we would be faithful witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ. We even pray now for divine appointments that you would open doors of opportunity. Father, I specifically pray for family members, loved ones who are outside of Christ that you would give opportunities for them to receive the gospel. And I pray if there's anyone here this evening that is still trusting in what they must do instead of trusting in everything Christ has done, might you grant them repentance shine the light of your word into their hearts so they can receive Jesus by faith. We ask this for the glory of God and the power of his name.
Amen. You have been listening to Baltimore Bible Church. To hear other messages or to find out about upcoming events and where we meet for weekly church services, please visit us online at www.baltimorebiblechurch.org. Baltimore Bible Church reserves all copyright protection under applicable law. Our copyright policy is available on our website and includes instructions for and limitations on duplicating all printed media, CDs, and digital files.